Derek Cogburn, welcome to Worldviews. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. You're an expert on internet or cybersecurity, and I, I think perhaps that's where we should start, is trying to understand exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about cybersecurity. You know, we hear a lot of information about breaches, and there certainly have been some of late data breaches. And then on the other hand, we hear about kind of cyber warfare between states or perhaps other uh, non-governmental organizations, and there's certainly a fear of that. But what exactly are we talking about? Right. Well, I would broaden it out to start to talk about broader internet governance, um, which is a broad way to think about cybersecurity and cyber policy. And internet governance really takes us to the technical side, the policy side, and the implementation of the protocols related to the internet and the content and the policy areas related to uh, governing the internet. Uh, and all of that is related to creating opportunities for people to both share uh, resources, share uh, content, but also it opens up uh, those possibilities for the breaches that you talked about earlier as well. So it really takes us to thinking about how is the internet uh, governed? What are the underlying technologies and protocols that uh, allow the internet to work? And, and again, by uh, in opposition to be, uh, to be taken advantage of. Uh, and then what are the policy issues related to the internet as well? Okay, well then let me ask the, the obvious question. How is the internet governed? This is <laughs> <laughs> Well, some people say it's not governed. Well, a lot of people argue, of course, that it shouldn't be, and then right. there are others that say it should because of these, these breaches or, or other uh, nefarious activities that can take place on the internet. But as you say, I think it's important that it's, it's how we monitor it that lets us understand how it can be used positively sure. and negatively. But, sure. but how is and it governed? And all the different roles that different actors might Absolutely. play uh, as well. So, you know, many people uh, are increasingly using the Internet and it becomes something that they rely on for uh, how they live, how they work, uh, how they entertain themselves. And most people don't know how it works uh, and don't understand it's the understatement, the, uh, exactly the underlying <laughs> complexity uh, behind it. And if you think about it, it's a global resource. And that's one of the things that makes the Internet so valuable uh, is that it is, in fact, a global resource and that you can pick up a smartphone and uh, send a message or a video to somebody anywhere in the world. Um, that has also allowed for civil society groups around the world to be able to share information and videos about things that are happening on the ground. And so there's a set of underlying protocols that enable um, data to be uh, digitized and broken up into packets and sent uh, in various ways around the world um, using the underlying telecommunications infrastructure that the internet uh, rides on top of and then to be reassembled at its uh, location. And so all that happens almost instantaneously through uh, fiber optics and this digitization uh, process. So the protocols that allow that to happen, uh, new protocols that evolve to make that process more secure uh, happen through technical communities who debate uh, these protocols. Um, and there are all kinds of acronyms and alphabet soup uh, related to how that happens from uh, ICANN, uh, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, uh, the Internet Engineering Task Force, the Internet Governance Forum, the IGF, and so on and on and on and on. Uh, and so you have the need for different kinds of experts to come into this process. So you have the communications experts, the technology experts, the protocol experts, and then all of the content uh, areas uh, experts that all come together. And so um, if you were to say, uh, what's the center of this governance process? In some ways, it is ICANN, um, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, because that's where the technical aspects of assigning uh, domain names and assigning IP addresses and the matching process, the, the root zone file that matches the 
IP numbers, the IP addresses, those series of, uh, you know, 128.124, that IP address with the domain name like uh, ou.edu um, that links those two together. Um, so it's a, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers is, is in some ways at the center of that process because of what they do on that. Uh, in that aspect, but there are a whole range of other organizations that contribute to internet governance, contribute to the principles and the values related to governing this resource. And these are made up of uh, state stakeholders, or they're scientists, or technicians, or everyone in, in between? So that's one of the things that makes it so unique, is it's a multi-stakeholder process. So governments play a role, but they're not at the center of it. The only government that has been at the center of this has been the United States government uh, in some ways, and we can talk about that. But um, if you look at when ICANN was created in 1998, you have a role for governments in something called the Government Advisory Council, but it's not at the center of this process. It's the technical community, the user community, the private sector, and governments that all play a role, but the governments are not at the center uh, of this process. And that's why in some ways when there were discussions about the UN taking over the gov- the internet, um, there was a concern that there would be more governmental control started, uh, starting to be introduced into this process that was not centered around governments. Uh, and so there was a concern that you'd have much more government involvement than, uh, than many people are comfortable with. So what are the advantages, you kind of alluded to some of them, but the advantages of the governments not being quite so involved? Well, you know, all governments are not equal uh, in terms of their um, principles related to privacy and security and openness and democracy and transparency and these kinds of, of issues. So when you did have the United States playing the unique role. You know, most people probably know the internet was developed here in the United States. It was came out of the uh, Advanced Research Projects Agency and the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So ARPA and DARPA played this, you know, tremendously important role in developing uh, the protocols for, for the internet. Um, you had contracts with the Department of Commerce um, that led to the continued growth and development of the internet. And uh, these u- unique relationships of the U.S., kind of guaranteed uh, a certain sense of openness and transparency, security and stability, and that this would function. And this was something that all of us wanted was we wanted this to function. We want to be able to pick up our phone or to send a message and it get there. As other governments start to come into play, you can't guarantee that level of openness and transparency and so commitment to... places like to, China, Egypt, other Absolutely. Um, and so when you have a venue like the United Nations, where it's one country, one vote, and you have this equal opportunity for countries to weigh in and to uh, slow things down and so forth, uh, you run into that problem. So that's why we don't want uh, governments to be in, at the center of this at all. Sure. Uh, how does that lead to governance, though? If you have states that are perpetrators of some sort of cyber crime or spying or something along those lines, how do these organizations, how can they either reprimand or, or uh, I don't know, go after these sure. states? Sure. So we talk a lot about um, governance without government. Um, so we don't have a world government. Um, so how do we govern this process? Uh, so there are a number of ways to look at it. Um, I tend in my work to use international regime theory to help us understand this. And regime theory tells us that if we have a convergence of expectations around principles, norms, values, uh, we start to have the, the groundwork of an international regime, of a governance mechanism. And then 
do we have any enforcement capabilities? And this makes a stronger regime or a weaker regime. Um, and in some ways, we have very limited uh, enforcement mechanisms. And that's one of the things that weakens our approach to internet governance, because we don't have the ability to really uh, enforce some of the decisions that are made. But we do have a number of vehicles that help facilitate the governance around the convergence of principles, norms, and values. And one of the things that the Internet Governance Forum, which is now in its, uh, what, 12th year, I guess, or 11th, 12th year, I guess, it's starting uh, in December, um, gives us a way for these multi-stakeholder actors to come together and represent themselves, not their governments or their companies, but to represent themselves in this uh, UN-sponsored forum. Uh, and all these issues from security to development are discussed at the Internet Governance Forum. So the next one is coming up in December uh, in Geneva. And this is where we have this these debates uh, that take place and where you have a convergence of expectations. Now, the actual governance, so the allocation of resources, doesn't happen there. No decisions are being taken within the Internet Governance Forum. That's happening in these other parts of the internet governance ecosystem, like ICANN, like the Internet Engineering Task Force, like the World Wide Web Consortium, um, where all of these different uh, uh, issues are taking place. Well, you mentioned that they come together and, and talk about a number of issues, and I think one of the issues that has come up of late is concern about the dark web. Mm. Obviously, the, the deep web and the dark web are two different things. The, the dark web, we're talking about a, a still relatively small percentage of very nefarious things that are potentially taking place. I, I teach on illicit trafficking, and so we have spent some time going over this. Are there things in place to try to mediate what's happening on the dark web? Well, I will say that um, people sometimes tease me because I tend to focus on the positive uh, aspects. Which I, is great. <laughs> I focus on how we use the internet and the web sure. for collaboration and you know to enable multi-stakeholder actors to be able to participate in these processes. And activism on the dark uh, absolutely. web. Absolutely. I focus yeah. a lot on yeah. activism, you know, and I focus on uh, you know accessibility, you know, on the web. Um, so I don't focus focus as much uh, on the dark web. It is certainly a an ongoing aspect of uh, the web and how people are using uh, these hidden spaces uh, on the web to engage in uh, human trafficking and child pornography and uh, all of these negative uh, aspects uh, of uh, the internet and the web. Uh, and I don't focus on them as much. Um, so. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, one of the uh, the ways that we think about doing business on the, the dark web has been Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have, it's part of the dark web, but it looks like it's becoming more an everyday common sure. occurrence. It's, uh, I think, uh, an, an obvious idea of what Bitcoin is, a, a virtual currency, although it's much, much more confusing than that. Right. But I, I've had my students ask, and so I'm going to ask you, is, is this the way of the future? Are we going to move towards some sort of virtual currency, if not Bitcoin, something else? I would think absolutely. And so one of the ways that it enables this activity in the dark web is the anonymity mm -hmm. um, that comes with it. Um, and so if you look at um, you know Bitcoin uh, as being able to provide kind of a ledger um, of these uh, relationships and these transactions, that enables people to pay for things in an anonymous way and essentially an untraceable way, which, you know, gives uh, many of our agencies concerns around, you know, well, how do you, you know, trace these transactions uh, as well. But there's, you know, clearly a need for it both in these nefarious spaces, but also in um, legitimate spaces mm -hmm. as well to be able to have this kind of virtual currency that is uh, out, outside in some ways of, um, you know, the traditional banking system. 
um, you know, to be able to share resources and to pay for things uh, as well. So I think that this is absolutely uh, going to become an increasing, uh, increasingly important part of how we think about the web. Universities, you know, wanting people to pay for uh, online, you know, uh, open courses, you right. know, for example, and, and tracking did you pay for it or not? And do you get the cert- certification that might come from that process or not? Um, so I think absolutely it will become an increasingly important part of what we do. A number of my students are asking, you know, I want to focus on, you know, on Bitcoin. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's really growing as one of the key areas in this space. Yeah, I feel like we hear about it all the time. So some positive things coming out of that. What other things should we look for in the future of Internet governance? So I think that uh, the multi-stakeholder participation will become increasingly important. Um, there is uh, a growing pushback against involvement of civil society and private mm-hmm. sector in some of these spaces. You know, there are uh, governments who don't like uh, the private, the uh, civil society playing a role and a prominent role uh, in these spaces. And so they're pushing back against um, the spaces that have been opened up for civil society participation. And it's un- unfortunate that that's the case. Absolutely. Um, so I see that as happening. Um, you know, a lot of the work that I do uh, focuses also on persons with disabilities. So I'm executive director of the Institute on Disability and Public Policy, as well as directing our Internet Governance Lab. And so uh, a lot of my work is pulling these two areas closer and closer uh, together. And so uh, with a focus on the needs of the more than one billion uh, persons in the world with uh, living with some form of disability, I think we're going to have to focus more on accessibility uh, around the Internet uh, and ensuring that the standards are in place to enable persons with all types of disabilities to engage appropriately online as well. And certainly the ways to enhance their learning as well. And Absolutely. That's, that's so I don't know if you know, you know, part of what... Um, uh, has kept me busy for the last uh, seven or eight years is we built one of the uh, first uh, virtual graduate institutes on disability and public policy in the world. Uh, we built American University's first fully online uh, master's degree um, and on disability and public policy. Now there are multiple online degrees. And it was the first fully online master's degree in disability and public policy, all online. And so we've had cohorts of students who are blind and visually impaired, deaf and hard of hearing, and mobility impaired, all living in Southeast Asia taking our online uh, master's program. And now we've turned that over to our partners in Southeast Asia. We expect more of that to continue to happen. Certainly seems that there are endless uh, possibilities here. (laughs) Very positive outcomes we can look forward to. Absolutely. I think so. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure and good luck with building the center. I think you're doing exactly the right thing. And I look forward to watching your growth and contributing where I can. Wonderful. Well, we appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, my pleasure.